So Jim, we should apply for be best and brightest with making chips. Would you be best or would you be brightest? Best. Okay. And yeah. I would be brightest? Yes, you would. Okay, got it. Best is best. <laughs> but brightest is better. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not judging I this. just know how to make chips. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, how you doing? Good. Just had a great lunch. We did. Yeah. I know. And then we have a great guest to bring on soon. And I bought. Wasn't Thank that you. nice of me? Thank you. That was very nice of I you. I know. I don't think you realize how nice of a guy I really am. Yeah. Well, I have to pay for part of that bill, though, too, because you, you use our company credit card. Yeah. How do you know? Oh, did you actually pay no, for I yourself? Did not. No, I, I, I didn't think you did. You're too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. For sure. You would steal my credit card out of my pocket if you could. <laughs> sure, Jason. Right. Uh, so, but, what do we got going on yeah, today? So, you know, Jim, we're going to talk about supply chain today. And I know you guys are a job shop, so you make contract parts. We do. So, you're not like assembling your own product line or anything like that. But is the supply chain affecting you guys in, in a big way that's I mean material wise? Just like anything. O- getting raw materials. Anything. Are you responsible for making any kind of products besides machining out of raw stock that for your customers? No. Okay. So, I know you. I know you put some like helicoil assemblies in some parts. Yeah, we're not having do any some kind of like light assembly. But here's what we're seeing on the short run production or the low volume stuff. We can get material now. Granted, material lead times and material pricing are both way out. It's taking us three times longer than yep. we used to to get material. Right, and prices are up too. Not insane, but yeah, twenty percent, 25 percent, something like that. However, on the production side, I just quoted a job the other day for like a thousand aluminum blocks, 6061 aluminum. I could get the material in about, I could get the thousand piece order in about a week or week and a half. Mm-hmm. But the 5,000 piece quantity, they quoted me March of 2022. So because they've they got, got all their clients the, that they Well, the it. mill. No. The, yeah. the, oh, it's the mill. Okay. So they're having deficiencies in their inventory. So everyone's just chewing up their inventories nowadays and they can't the mill can't make it fast enough yeah and and we're wrestling with it too i mean i think that this episode is going to be mostly for the oems out there but i mean we're wrestling with this so you know as a cutting tool and industrial supply distributor we sell a variety of different stuff so actually one of the things i need to talk to my our guests about is we've got thousands of o-rings that we need to supply one of our clients and that they're telling us it's going to be march before we get these so i need to figure out where else to get them from but i mean making cutting tool conversions and stuff like that. I mean, we're, we're seeing that all the time because, I mean, there's just a variety of problems out there. Yeah, it's a mess. The only thing that we're having problems getting is like, well, you know, and the Metalworking Nation knows we're in the new building, but like it took seven months to get a refrigerator for the employee break room. I'm waiting on a, a table for right over here in this corner. It's been like on order since May. Some lights in my office area have been on order since eight months and yeah, I, mean, well, I just told, can't I, get that. I told you before, our fridge went out just right when COVID started and we must have got really lucky because you I keep did. hearing horror stories about people being able to get refrigerators because right. we were able to get one in just a few days and we had a very customized size. Um, but I think I, at that price point too, 
it's yeah, a little... Yeah, I mean, if you have a nicer fridge, I think that, you know, it's easier to... But still, it doesn't matter how expensive something is. You're going to have supply chain problems. So right, I right, think right. we just... Because it happened at the, right at the beginning of COVID. Right. You know, I think if it was like six months in, then we'd have a bit of a problem. Sure, I, sure. So, so anyway, so in this episode, we're not just going to complain about the supply chain. Like, we you know, that we, can't I mean, just we, we can complain wham. about it for a little while, but what we really want to talk about is... Well, you're good at complaining. I don't really complain yeah, you about do. that much. Go ahead. We're going to talk about some tactics that you, as the manufacturing leader, can employ to fight and stay ahead of these supply chain problems. Because it is a problem. But It is. We do you think it's just... going to get better anytime soon? Oh, of course. It's going to get better. When do you it's think it's going to get when. better? Do you have a crystal ball? If I were to just make a general prediction, yeah. I think it's probably middle of next year. Okay. I think that's feasible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still going to be some stuff being released, like March and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, I think once you get to the middle of next year, a lot Did of things are going to be straightened out. Did you buy your Christmas presents yet? Oh, yeah. My wife bought it in like I know, two because they ago. say the. My wife was at Walmart the other day. She goes, you wouldn't believe the empty shelves. I'm like, oh, what? I was just at Target and there was, uh, there was a lot of toys there still. So. You didn't see anything yeah. missing? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it was. I, I feel bad for fine. the kids because can you imagine? Oh, I don't feel bad for my kids. They got enough toys. Yeah, so I don't, I don't feel really bad for them at all. Okay, we can go to Christmas without getting them any presents if we really wanted to. <laughs> but that's a whole another story. Yes, it is. So, so tell me something good going on at Car Machine, Jim. Uh, just you know, things are good. Never been busier. Yeah, it's just crazy. You know, when I think about that, and you have to think about this, I've been in this business for forty-one years. I've never seen it this busy, ever. It's nuts. Well, it took you long so, enough to be successful. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate I must be doing something right. You're a late bloomer. <laughs> well, I could have told you that, right? So yeah, things are just really good. I'm going to keep the integrity high, and the culture is important to me. Yep. But I really want to service our customers, too. So we're really honest. If we can't deliver before February, we're going to tell them. Sorry, yeah, we can't, have, we can't deliver before February. So yeah, that's where we're at right now. It's all good. Yeah, I agree with you on, you know, like focusing on the culture. That's definitely something that we're really looking at. And I'm going to talk about that in a future episode, too, because we're going to talk about the great resignation and, you know, yeah. kind of like put some more meat on the bones of that whole discussion, because I think it's been kind of misconstrued in a lot of ways. So we're going to talk about that in a little more detail. But yeah, I mean, things are going well for us, too. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, focusing on the culture is, is a big thing. And I've got some interesting stuff that we're doing. You know, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but we do like a survey with our team like every single month to see how we're doing as leaders. Yeah, you're using you know? an app for that or something. Yeah, well, what is it called? A, it's a software program. Yeah. So I want to try to present that. I'm going to present that to the team at the end of the year and be like, okay, this is what you've told me about how we're doing. And this is the changes that we're going to make associated with that. Cool. So it should be kind of interesting. So you know what's one of the surprising things about your new building is that you guys don't have any solar panels or, or any kind I know, of green I thought, stuff Actually, here. I thought about that after I got that big, big bill. Yeah. You know, they didn't. Oh, yeah. You're new. I didn't get a bill for a year. Yeah. And yeah, all summer, we're like cranking the air in the shop. You yeah. know, oh, yeah, this is awesome. 70 degrees, man. Feels great. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> then I got the bill. And then, you know, so now it's making me realize maybe solar panels isn't such a bad idea. Well, I've got two interesting manufacturing news articles. The first one we'll talk about like really quickly. It's on The Verge and it says clean renewable energy supply chain crisis. And what it talks about is that a lot of the like the raw materials being used in like solar panels and a lot of green energy mm -hmm. are being mined in China. And so China's really got a captive um, control over a lot of those things. And, you know, the current American administration really is putting a big emphasis on renewables and green energy and all this kind of stuff. But what they need to tackle is, well, what about 
the materials. We need to get a lot of those materials from China. A lot of it's being manufactured in China. We need to make those things here. Sure. So that's definitely a supply chain issue. And it's something that needs to be addressed. So either we need to just accept the fact that we're going to have a dependency on China in order to get that stuff, which I don't really like that. Or we need to start doing that mining here in the United States if we do have those raw materials, Mm -hmm. which I'm not really that familiar with it. But anyway, the main manufacturing news article that I want to talk about is from MIT Sloan. It's called the Sloan Review. Sloan is like uh, MIT's school of business. Is it their school of business or their school of engineering? I don't remember which one. But anyway, the title of the article is What Everyone Gets Wrong About the Never-Ending COVID-19 Supply Chain Crisis. And it says, spoiler alert, just-in-time inventory management was never the problem. And this is by, and hopefully I'm not butchering his name, Yossi Sheffi. So I don't know if you're familiar with this, but a lot of the talk around the supply chain crises has been the just-in-time inventory that we operate on. So like the whole kind of like, what do they call it? Like a whipsaw effect or whiplash effect associated with that. So that, you know, like if you're never carrying enough inventory or you're carrying just-in-time inventory, that once there's some kind of disruption, like increase in demand, it's going to cause a big problem. So what this author postulates is that that's not necessarily the problem. So what Yossi says are the problems are there's four of them that he talks about. The first one is the pandemic effect. So of course, there's the demand shift with people working from home, labor shortages, plant closings, plummeting car sales. So like one of the examples that they throw into effect is like, if all of your labor is being put into making suits, and now all of a sudden, everybody's wearing sweatpants working from home, you know, they're gonna be buying sweatpants and not buying suits, and you're gonna have a problem there. I mean, just to use a very broad manufacturing related example. And then the second one would be manufacturers issues. So like shortages of microchips. And then there was shortage of microchips, a surge in demand for electronics. Because everyone's working from home. They need computers, from they home. need PCs, yeah, they need exactly. monitors. And new phones and stuff like that. And then yep. now you don't have the microchips for the cars. Right. So like all this demand is like just shifting places from cars to computers, from pants to sweatpants. And then w- what they say is makes the matter even worse, exasperating the issue. So what they say is that you have a media-driven consumer fear, which has led to to hoarding of certain products. Oh, yeah. And we even saw that with certain products that we sell, too. Right. And then the the last one is the government's disrupted influences. So the government puts certain policies in place that could exasperate some of these problems. So what he's postulating is that this is what's contributed to the supply chain crisis, not necessarily the... It makes a lot of sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm going to read this quote. It says, In the United States, the government poured trillions of dollars into the economy in order to help people who lost their jobs or were otherwise in financial distress Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. These benefits included enhanced unemployment assistance, child tax credits, and expanded food stamp benefits. The government, however, was not precisely targeted and ended up fueling many purchases, leading to a huge increase in demand for many specific goods. For example a lot of the money that they threw into the market got pushed onto not like the essentials, but people buying disposable new income. Chanel purses, no, you know, oh, or just, you know, I know. What, I, what, whatever else it is. So he goes on further to say, action taken by the U.S. Federal Reserve also added to the amount of spendable cash driving up demand because the Fed cut its target for federal fund rates in March 2020 to a range of zero to 0.25%. And as of September 2021, it was at 0.09%. So you've got a low cost of money driving up even more demand. Yep. Goes on to say, 
Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said on June 16th, 2021, and I quote, it turns out it's a heck of a lot easier to create demand than it is to, you know, bring supply back up to snuff. So, yes, I would agree with that. So it makes the shortages contribute well, to more it, inflation. If you put money in you know, people's hands, what is the instinctually what they want to do? I'll buy something. They're going to buy something. Yeah. And, you know, if you put money in people's hands that don't really have money, what do they want to do? They want the feel good things. Yeah. And so they're going to Especially spend when you're it. feeling bad because of the pandemic, you're being held at home. You're like, I want to buy that nice thing because, like you said, it makes them feel good. Right. And, and you know, let's we go all to do Florida. It. We all do it. I yeah. mean, you just spent a lot of money on a new building to make you feel good. You know what I mean? So oh, I you did didn't it. buy a purse, but you bought a building. No. Yeah. You know, it, it did make me feel good, but I did it out <laughs> in this. I mean, I would have rather have gone, you know, on an international just, vacation. I'm just kidding with you. But, I know you did it for business decisions. Yeah. But Jerome goes on to say inflation could turn out to be a higher and more persistent than what we expected. So that's kind of a concerning statement to be. What making. is it? What did I just do a podcast on a couple of weeks exactly. ago? Exactly. When you start seeing that, what happens? Yeah, you recession. Gotta, yeah, exactly. So he goes on, and then there's that. Now the author goes back to. Now I'm going to go back to the author. He goes back to talking about why just in time is not at fault. So number one, and I thought that this was interesting because I don't know necessarily. I haven't. I'm not like a student of just in time, and I don't think you are either. No. Number one, the rationale for just in time is not cost reductions. It's to make products with fewer de- defects. So that was the whole basis for it. So the principle is, is that you have more inventory flowing through the system so that you can make iterations and fix problems or make processes better. And you can identify those and correct them quicker. So that's the main principle behind just-in-time. So just-in-time should be about boosting quality and customer satisfaction. Number two, just-in-time actually has other benefits, including flexibility. So as demand and supply fluctuate, just-in-time can adjust a lot quicker to some of those increases or decreases in supply and demand. And then thirdly, customers actually do keep a significant amount of inventory, even with just-in-time, but it's like a safety stock that even when there's a disaster and say things spike by 50% or 100%, I mean, you know, you can't really predict that from an inventory standpoint. I even know that as being, you know, we carry millions of dollars worth of inventory and it's hard on certain things. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting article. And since we're going to be talking about supply chain today, I thought, you know, getting educated on just in time was also going to be interesting. Yeah. Being a contract manufacturer, it sounds good but it's just something that we haven't even approached yet. You would be kind of a component of just-in-time when you get customers well, asking you to... Contracts. You know, contracts, And yeah. Kanban or else, you know, just inventorying their stuff. Yep, absolutely. But we don't do that. Yep. The most we do is blanket orders and we'll hold it for yeah. a few there months. You go. Yeah. yeah, we do vendor-managed inventory, of course, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see where that wouldn't make sense for you. Supply chain is a big deal right now. Oh my God, it's awful. It's hard to get parts. It's hard to get machines. What is going on in your world right now with supply chain, Jim? Well, supply chain, I can get cutting tools, thank God, from Zangers, but I'm having a really hard time getting materials. That seems to be like a huge problem right now. Well, quite frankly, in the 41 years in business, I've never seen it so crazy. But it's about three times longer than it used to be right now to get material. You know, I think our partner Zometry has a solution for that, don't they? Absolutely. And I was going to get to that, Jason. I just got an email the other day from somebody that I know at Zometry, and they're promoting their new supplies partnership that they have. And they are offering 
people like myself that own machine shops, you can buy your raw material. Let's say you've got $100,000 in aluminum that you need to buy. You can buy it from Zometry. They will hold it for you at that cost. And then all I got to do is call and say, hey, man, can you ship 25% of that to me? And then it sits on my floor. And then I have 90 days, same as cash, to pay for that. So I'm pulling my inventory from Zometry. It's not scattered all over the shop floor. And it sounds like an awesome thing. It's basically like a Kanban system. What is a Kanban? I've heard that many, many times. You just described it. Is that exactly what it is? instead of you being stuck with all the inventory right now, you trigger the shipment when you need it. Well, it sounds like a fantastic idea. I know I've talked to Ryan about it already. We're ready to call Zometry next week and give them an order or at least get an RFQ for some big aluminum orders we have coming up. And as a matter of fact, you, the Metalworking Nation, can try too. And Jason, what's that landing page number? So you go to Zometry, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com slash making chips and you get 10% off. Sounds great. Awesome. So how about we introduce our guests? You think so? Yeah, he's been here before. He has been here before. What's his name? His name is Tom. Oh yeah, that's right. Tom is no stranger to making chips. I couldn't believe this. He was on our show back in episode 38. Are you sure of that? Yeah, I looked it up. Because this is episode 293. I know, episode 38. It was Tom, like we, a decade ago. We haven't seen him in a while. I know. Anyway, Tom is the CEO of Ergo Seal right here in Chicagoland. They are a manufacturer and designer of mechanical lip non-contacting and magnetic seals exclusively for OEMs in low to high volumes. Like I said, Tom, it was on episode 38 about growing your manufacturing business through acquisitions. I know you liked that one a lot because that's... Yeah, what, that's, you, I mean, that's, Tom and I talk thing. about that yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Tom is also a VIP client of Zanger's, and I think Tom and Karis have even done some work together. Oh, you guys have. Great. Yes. At, at some point, we did. So, Tom, welcome back to Making Chips. Good to see yeah, you, my good friend. To see you, it's great to see you guys. Yeah. Thank you for having me back. It really is good to see you. I, and I genuinely mean that. It's great to see old friends. So, Todd, before we get into actually talking about the supply chain, you were on episode 38 talking about acquisitions. Have yep. you made any other acquisitions or thinking about them? We're always thinking. We're always looking. Okay. We want to grow or expand our business. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it is through acquisition. Okay. You got any good ones in the pipeline or? We do. Or close? We're looking yeah. at a couple, yeah. Yeah. And they're all always strategic acquisitions, they right? They have to be. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. So, what were you saying about organic growth? You know, we always try to grow organically. Right. But also, sometimes you have to go through growth requisition. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Depending so, on the markets that you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. So Tom, as you know, our mission here at Making Chips is to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And one of the things is we want to prepare the metalworking nation for what's to come in the future. Now, unfortunately, we didn't have you on six months ago or three months ago even, but we've got you here now and you've got some advice for you know the metalworking nation as to what to do about the supply chain crisis. I mean, we're in the middle of it, so there's definitely still some changes that people can make in what they do. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Right. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So when we talked earlier, you talked about three points that we wanted to talk about. The first one was risk mitigation, better partnerships through communication, and then how your culture actually improves the outcome of your supply chain. Yeah, we should break those down one by one. Yeah, we and what should, does absolutely. that mean? Because I hear those three bullets and it means different things to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it means different things to you, Tom. So why don't we break it down one by one? Yeah, let's talk about risk mitigation Yeah, what first. does that mean? 
Sounds like an insurance yeah, broker, doesn't it, right? Doesn't yeah. It, yeah, I think I've been talking to my insurance agent too much. Yes. We want to mitigate the risk for our customers. Oh, for right? you. Okay. It's really for, your for customers, our customers. Not you, for your customers. Well, us what, as well, but yeah. also for our customers. Ultimately, yes. It's a flow down to them. So that's what we're looking to do. There's a lot of different ways that we are accomplishing that right now because at the end of the day, we have to serve our customers and their needs. So we've identified a few areas. So does that mean like we talk a lot on uh, making chips about near shoring or reshoring? Is that is that one of the... That is part of it. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Redundancy. Absolutely. Redundancy. Yep. yep. Reshoring efforts, utilizing domestic or local sources mm-hmm. on uh, some of the components that we utilize in our products. Give so us some I, examples yeah. of what you're doing. Yeah, right now, I'm I mean, like, I'm really curious to hear what you're doing in redundancy. What are you doing well, in redundancy? You know, and Tom, even before that, like, okay. so we talk about, you know, what you do, you make mechanical lip, non-contacting and magnetic seals. What the heck is that? Like, kind of break it down for us. What is that? What is it used in? And what are the different components that would be in one of these seals so that the metalworking nation can kind of understand what you do in your shop and what these components are that you sell to OEMs? Yeah, absolutely. I love to. So on the mechanical seal side of the business, we're designing, manufacturing custom seal applications. That's what we started for 32 years now. Okay. Okay. That's how we started. So we've always been legacy. making chips. Yeah, yeah. But it's also continuing on, right? Yeah. Custom manufactured mechanical seals are really our bread and butter. And we've been making chips since 1989. Yeah. So you so machine all the parts. We're machining so, yeah. the metal parts, the component of these seals. There are also other components, whether it's O-rings, as you mentioned, Jason, mm-hmm. earlier that you're looking for. There's other type of material, springs, carbon, graphite material. You source those, though. You don't make Correct. them. Yeah. yeah, we source those. Okay. And we have multiple sources for our components. And that's where we're really mitigating the risk for our customer as well, is because we have multiple sources for each of our components. So you might have some that are made out of you know, stainless, some that are made out of steel. Mm-hmm. You mentioned cast, even? Yeah. Yeah, we're machining saw, some Graph, cast I mean, material. Yeah. I mean, you have carbide. I don't know if you know what kind of materials you are using, but and I assume different types of rubber that's being used in these seals. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, we also have another manufacturing facility that, that Agrosil owns, Seber Tuning Solutions. And that's where we're doing more of the high mix, low volume kind of products. So tungsten carbide, other type of materials. So, so Tom, I have a question. So as far as the redundancy of sourcing, great idea. However... How do you manage the pricing components? Because if you have five different suppliers for five different things, you're going to get five different prices. How do you manage that long term? Yeah, good question. Because I mean, you have your own product line, right? And you want to sell it for a consistent price. Absolutely. So the main thing is that we have a primary source always, right? So we also have to build economies of scale with our suppliers and build that relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really critical. But at the same time, you have to reduce the risk for yourself and for your customers by having multiple sources. Yeah, I agree. I, and, I totally get that. But when I hear five different sources, I'm thinking, oh, my God, because I know how it varies mm-hmm. from vendor to vendor. And you have to know when you're manufacturing, when you're engineering a product, you're looking at tolerances. So where can you adapt your tolerances? Where can you have a change where it won't affect fit, form, or function, right? And yep. you can make an adjustment, maybe, you know, Manufacture precision manufacturing. Once you get more precise, more accurate, your costs go up. Sure. Right? You oh, maybe absolutely. have to grind grinding operations or adding or other type of operations and that can be costly. Sure. Where it can reduce those secondary operations to loosen tolerances. So that's part of what our engineers are looking at now from legacy products that we've been supplying and also new designs. So are you going back to your clients and saying, you know what, the lead time on this seal is going to be six months, but if we 
loosen this tolerance. We do X, Y, and Z. We get this part from this part of the world instead of you know where we've been getting it. We can get you the product in a month. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So okay. You're offering trade offs to your customers. Yeah. In the case that we can, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds complex. I mean, because you know you've it got is. a lot of lot of parts in each one of these tiny little seals. We're looking at the design as a whole. Because, okay. As you mentioned, Jim, prices have been increasing, mm-hmm. so we always have to look at the design of the product as well. Interesting. So, so are you are you swapping out and you're swapping out materials, I would assume, and you know, different... in some cases where we can, we do. Okay. Our material lead time is a big issue for you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Where are you finding the most pain? Uh, elastomers. Okay. Or rubber. My O-rings. Oh, O-rings. Yeah. March, as you mentioned. Yeah. Because they're a big component of really? ours. What, what is that about O-rings not... that, you know, is it because it's like dominated by a few companies? It's a raw material shortage. Okay. So I've been speaking to our rubber suppliers that are all over the world and they're all having the same issues. It's raw material. The demand's so high, mm-hmm. there's a shortage. Okay. What is that it's around crazy. rubber that's really keeping the demand so high? I need to learn that as well. Yeah. Okay. Still, but I wouldn't, it's, well, are they using it in cars? Again, it's what you were just saying about the manufacturing news article. The demand, I mean, it just, it's like we had the pandemic. Everything was like frozen, right? Right. No one's doing nothing. Everything's down. And then all of a sudden, boom, everything opened up. Everyone had money. And then everyone lost their mind and started mm-hmm. buying stuff. So it just put such a big burden on our system, on our economy. That's what it is. And now we're trying to recover. So how, how do you think? Yeah, I agree with you, Jim. So how do you tactically deal with this? So is this you, your sales team, your engineering team dealing with customers, making recommendations? How do you prioritize? You know, Is it like the loudest? The squeaky wheel, you do engineering changes to their parts. I mean, how do you look at that holistically? Because I assume when you have a problem like this, it encompasses everything that you do. No, it does. Really, it's been about communicating okay. to the customers. That was the other okay. one. Yep. Okay. So that's part of what we've been able to find a solution for, at least to learn more from our customers and what they need right okay. now. What's holding them back? Because a lot of our customers are OEMs. Mm-hmm. They're pump manufacturers, they're compressor manufacturers. Right. And there are lead times on other components, not ours necessarily, but whether it's a bearing, whether it's gears, whether it's other components, they can't get it, right? So we've had, hey, where can we support you? And where can we do our part? Maybe because they have price increases in other components. Where can we look to reduce our costs where okay. we can? So that's where we're opening the door and we're having these quarterly business reviews is what we've been doing with our customers. What did you call that? Quarterly business oh, quarterly reviews. Business QBR. Reviews. Yeah, QBR. QBR. So okay. that was your second point is, is raise the level of communication with your clients and with your vendors. Absolutely. It's, it's been so critical for us. Yeah. And it's That's one of our doors. uniques. I, I get, totally get that. So is that helping to open up additional business with some of those clients? Because I know oh, you had mentioned before that you know there's a lot of big players in the industry that you're in compared to your company. So is right. that... Is that helping you guys to grow? Oh, absolutely. We've had RFQs because they're having supply chain issues with other components that they didn't know we provided. Mm-hmm. So part of it's learning, the customer learning your company better and you learning the customer. Okay. Yeah. I write in more detail. Because they don't know what they don't know. They don't know. They're they new have buyers. no idea. They talk about the great resignation. So there are new people filling in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't know your company. A future episode, I'm talking about just that. So about legacy clients, legacy intellectual property and how valuable that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, what else can you do along the lines of communications in order to really help to fight this supply chain problem? It's having continuous communication with your supply chain as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have a global supply chain. 
you know, we're looking at weekly meetings. Okay. Critical components. With your vendors. Yeah, yeah. With the vendors. Correct. So weekly meetings, where is this product in your process right now? How can we support you? And what kind of items are you talking to your vendors about, Tom? A lot of them, if there are multiple components mm-hmm. into one manufactured part, mm-hmm. they may have a shortage of a metal component, right? Mm. If they're bonding rubber to metal, okay. there's a shortage of the metal. Okay, why? And where can we support you? Can I make something here locally and ship it to you? Oh, okay. Interesting. Sure, the cost is going to go up, but will this shorten our lead time and we're able to serve our customers quicker? In a lot of situations, I would imagine with what you guys do is that seal is a pretty small part of like their overall part that they're selling. And yeah, so but they, they, they need, the but they need it. But, but it's a seal. It's, it's yeah, critical. Yeah, it's, it's, just yeah. Like a, it's just like a, a, a chip yeah, for a exactly. car, right? It is. You can't sell a car unless you have a chip for the car, right? Exactly. But it's, it's critical. I agree. So, but I mean, for you to go to them and say, you know, hey, we need to raise your price a little bit in order to fulfill this order, you know, in a timely manner, is it hard to push that through? No, we've had to do it in some cases where maybe our primary source didn't have it available and we searched all over the world. Yeah, for a component, and we found one. It was more expensive, and really, is you're passing on the cost at that point. Yep. Yep. Are they resistant to price increases, or they they understand it and they're accepting? I think everyone's resistant to price increases to a certain extent. Right. At some point, we all know the current situation that we're in, so we're trying to limit that. Okay. In our case, it's a case by case basis. A lot of times, Uh Uh, if I can source this material from somewhere else, and there's a big price difference, hey, we have to just have that again open communication with yep, the customer. I agree. Yeah. Sounds great. What about when you have like a contract in place with somebody and you're like, you know, this is your price. I have the contract and you're like, well, I just can't fulfill this in, in a timely manner. You know, what typically happens, you have to show, bring it back to an index. Okay. Okay. Raw materials increase. Steel is increasing. Okay. Yeah. Show me where this is increasing. Right. If it's an elastomer, show me the raw material increase in price. So you have to be able to prove to the customer that prices are indeed occurring. Yeah. There you go. So, Tom, you had mentioned your designers are talking with your clients now and tweaking the tolerances, per se. So we do that, too, on the opposite end. As the machine shop, we try to get in early in the design process with the engineer, and we DFM, Design for Manufacturability. And we really have seen a lot of good results in that, too, because these new skilled knowledgeable engineers come out of engineering school and they're designing these things that are almost nearly impossible to machine, right? Throwing the GD&T on there that you can't even measure. Oh, position, surface profile, all these things. I mean, I wouldn't know how to machine a part like that. We have sophisticated inspection equipment that can do that nowadays, but I don't even know like what it, well, I know what it means, but I don't know how tight it really is. But the thing is, what we're seeing is they're so over-tolerance nowadays. And I think these engineers are just over-tolerancing to keep their jobs because they don't want the part to fail. So I think that's important that you're doing that on your end as the engineer working with the client to really find out what they need. So absolutely, can you elaborate on any of that? Sure. Yeah, a lot of these products may be legacy. So we don't know what the design intent was. 30, 40 years ago, in some cases, we're given this product. So then we can, from a customer, in some cases, we'll say, hey, is this necessary? Is this, you know, five tenths tolerance necessary? Can we move away from that so we can reduce our internal scrap or reduce an outside process to reduce the cost and therefore the price to you? 
or be able to take, if it's something you outsource, take it to another, exactly. another vendor that can produce that. Right. Absolutely. So one of the things we talked about a lot is I know you and your family both live in Elmhurst. My dad and my parents used to live in Elmhurst too. And you had mentioned that they have a supply chain master's program and that you've actually talked with with the, I'm sorry, the Elmhurst University. So you've talked with with them about some of these problems. Right. Yeah. So they have a really, really excellent supply chain master's program. It used to be called Elmhurst College, right? That's why when I said Elmhurst University, it didn't sound right. But is that the name that they're going by It is. I did my MBA there like almost 10 years ago. Yeah, because it used to be Elmhurst College. Now, okay, okay. I wonder if I get an updated. Yeah, there uh, you go. Yeah. Blown from there. What did it get? It's what a kind supply of cor- chain master's program. A so, master's degree in yep. supply chain? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, really? And they've actually helped you. Yes. So, so what oh, they you bar- took it? No, no, I didn't oh. take it myself. Right now, we reached out to them because part of their capstone program is that they can help local organizations, companies, and, and help them, you know, in different areas. Do you know what a capstone program I would, is? No, I was going to, okay. I was going, so what just going to ask. No, that's okay. That so what a caps, and correct me if you have a different interpretation, Tom, what a capstone program is, it's kind of like by the name capstone, it puts a cap on the end of your program. So it's like the final thing you do. And basically you're taking a lot of the, you know, you do a lot of case studies in a master's program, but you're also talking about like a lot of theoretical stuff. So during this capstone program, you actually, it's kind of like you put these, business concepts into a lab and you actually perform them out for a real company. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So if there was like a master's machinist degree, maybe one of those machinists as their capstone program, they would do something in your shop. I mean, I don't, I'm just making that up, but that's essentially what a capstone program is. Cool. Exactly. So, so go ahead. Yes. We've teamed up with them and they're helping us make improvements internally Okay. For with our inventory control system. How are we doing our shelving? Are we labeling our bin systems? So kind of like a 5S? Yeah, almost, but okay. in way more detail and kind of in how it touches other departments. How, how does it flow through the quality system? How does it flow through engineering? And where can we improve ourselves? So, you know, always increasing internal efficiencies is always key. Is so, the university coming to you and doing this for free? Oh, yes, they are. Wow, that's awesome. Yes, it's part of their program. Yeah. So uh, we're working well, very Well, they closely. probably would love that yeah. because they've got a shop that they can work with from an alum mm-hmm. and they probably have their students in your shop, right? Yeah. Yes. Going from theoretical practice. Yeah. Now cool. they're implementing something in cool. the real world. So is there, very do you have cool. a specific instance of something that they've helped you through yeah, the supply chain? Issue. We're working through it right now. Okay. So we're actually in the process. They've gathered a lot of data okay. from our operations, and they're going to be proposing something very shortly for us. Okay. I'm, I'm on a product that you're having issues yeah. with? Yeah. Okay. Not necessarily problems with, but just create better, improve our efficiency, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Because we're also integrating with our ERP system more and more. Yeah, that's So important. we're going to the lot bin system. What does that look like? And... How do we organize our shelving units to adopt that? Gotcha. Okay, so the last point that we talked about, and this is the one that I'm most interested in talking about, is how having a great culture improves your outcomes, especially. I mean, I believe it'll improve your outcome in every aspect of your business, but how specifically has it helped you in during the supply chain crisis? We've seen a lot of people grow. Okay. Okay, there are a lot of growth opportunities for our own employees. Everyone knew what was going on with COVID. People were scared. Are you going to close your doors? Not us specifically. Yeah, I'm not going to be out of job. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. thinking this. Nobody knew it was going to happen. Especially in the happen. very beginning. Yeah. Right. So Especially there's a lot in of anxiety. early days. It was right. no one really knew what that was March, happening. March, April, May. And, you know, everyone, everyone was anxious at the time. So mm-hmm. we saw people anxious at the time. What am I going to do? Do I have to go somewhere? What's going to happen? 
And, you know, for us, we weren't affected that severely from in, in 2020, thankfully, gratefully. But we saw a few people just grow out of that. They were nervous. Maybe they were thinking of doing something else. We really dug deep together. Okay. We said, hey, look, this is what's going on. We're always very open with our employees. Mm-hmm. So we are an EOS-run company. We're a values-based, culture-based company. So it's really important to us. So we've always been very open about our company financials and how do we dig deep and all make the improvements so we can, at the end of the day, serve the customer and serve each other. Yeah. So for me, I know our core values, one of them is go above and beyond. And I know like through some of these supply chain crises, our team just has gotten scrappy. And like exactly. that's, that's kind of what it comes down to is like when there's a problem in the supply chain, it's like we're not just going to A, be like, oh, sorry, Mr. Customer, it's going to be... Or Mrs. Customer, it's going to be 12 weeks. No, like let's go above and beyond. It's part of our core values. And let's say, okay, that SKU that you've been buying is going to be 12 weeks. We can substitute it with this SKU. Or in your case, hey, that part that you've been buying for a long time is going to be 12 weeks because of these raw material um, issues or whatever else. But we can make these changes and that'll get you your part that much quicker. Exactly. And I think that that's... There's a lot of companies out there. They just... They don't have... Their people don't care enough about the business, I guess, because of the culture and they're not willing to go above and beyond. Yeah. You, what you really end up seeing is the resourcefulness mm-hmm. come out from everybody. Okay. There's limited time. There's limited capital in certain areas. Now, can we not invest as much as we want in certain areas and others we can so part of it has also been increasing our employees skill okay all right and that's really critical that's huge yeah that's huge. whether it's redundancy in positions whether it's hey let's invest in our employees further let's amp up their skills in their ERP system to improve internal efficiencies mm-hmm. as well and that's really important that's what there's we a see. lot of low-hanging fruit that you if you, all you got to do is search it out you and do. you're gonna find it really quick right absolutely you have to want to find it though if you're not interested in doing it or you're not interested in improving the efficiencies it's never gonna happen it's right true. and that's part of our professional development yes. we ask our employees what would you like to improve upon mm-hmm. and then it's our job as leaders to go back and find out how do we plan that so they can improve their skills yeah okay. I think one of the things that people don't realize or maybe people do and I'm, I'm just not aware of it is that it's like these small things that you do in leading your team that really make a huge difference. It's like when you put the time into coaching your team on what to do in the middle of a crisis, if, when you make those investments in them as a person, that they really step up and take care of these problems in ways that it never reaches your desk. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that that's what really makes the biggest difference is that it's the soft things that we do at our company yes. that make the biggest difference to taking care of our clients and making them happy. Yep. You exactly. Know? And all that comes back to culture. It does. You know, we were, we were grateful to be awarded the last two years, the best and brightest company to work for in Chicago. Oh, nice. that's great. Tom. That's awesome. So yeah, culture is very important to us. And you know, we haven't had to lay anybody off during this COVID crisis, mm-hmm. which has been a huge plus. That's awesome. We've increased our opportunities with our customers and then, you know, growing the skill set of our employees is just so critical. It's huge. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Everyone should be doing that, but not everyone cares that much. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's not, not easy. easy. No, it's not. No. It what time. do you get um, graded on for that award? I know it's an anonymous survey from okay. employees. And X amount have to respond to it. So okay. we don't know... Who did? Yeah, who did do you, it. Do you submit it to them and say, hey, yes. I want to... Okay. Correct. My sister is actually the president of the company. Okay. And she spearheaded that project. Okay. And so she, she just she sends it out detail. to the employees. Hey, yep. we want to try to be a part of this. And, you know... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, Jim, we should apply for be best and brightest with making chips. Would you be best or would you be brightest? Best. Okay. And yeah. I would be brightest? Yes, you would. Okay. Got yeah. it. 
Best is best. <laughs> but brightest is better. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> I just know. I'm not I judging just know how this. to make chips. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, is there anything else that you want to add to this discussion? Yeah. On, you know, really how you've fought through the supply chain and what would equip and inspire the rest of the metalworking nation? I just think in chaos, there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. We have to find it. We have to serve our customers. We have to serve our employees. We have to serve each other mm-hmm. at the end of the day and just be open and honest. The difficulties, the challenges, the wins, mm-hmm. celebrate all the wins yeah. along the way, even the smallest wins. I think it's really important to keep each other going. And status quo is boring. I agree, <laughs> man. I agree. I agree, man. Jim is up the status quo at his company too. He was just talking about all his five axis machines. And I remember years ago when he said he would never buy a five axis. So I didn't say I wouldn't buy one, but it is amazing how it's just shifted very quickly. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have a five axis? We do not have you're a five th- You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. Yeah. 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 You should. Yeah. You want one. We'll talk. Yeah. 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 We'll have to talk. So Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. We appreciate you coming in to kind of just put a little bit of a seed in the head of the metalworking nation to say, hey, maybe there's some things that I can do differently that it's would help. It's interesting to hear what other people are doing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and through this community of sharing, I think that somebody will benefit from hearing what Tom just said. And yep. And can adopt that change that you've made in your country to theirs, and it's going to help them in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, thanks for being on the show, Tom. Thank you. Hopefully, yeah. I'll be on uh, 450. Yeah, maybe we'll, yeah, we'll bring you back in a couple hundred oh, episodes. <laughs> are you in, I, Jim? Are I you don't in know. For if a I'm couple gonna, hundred more? A hundred more? No, maybe. a couple hundred more. I don't know about a couple hundred more, okay. but uh, I can do a hundred. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> anyway. What are you going to implement some of those things in your shop? Yeah, you know... Which one did you like the best? The one that I think I need to do. I, I want to talk to Elmhurst University about yeah, their... Yeah, really interesting. You know, about their supply chain program, especially as we're looking at hopefully closing on a new building soon. Mm-hmm. And we want to try to do that as efficiently as possible. I mm-hmm. want to see if I can tap into the heads of some of these young, bright minds and see if they can help me out and help me to do things better in the future. I mean... I'm not a 20-year-old anymore. I'm not at the cutting edge. But I mean, if I can bring people into my company that can give me a different perspective, I think I think that would be good. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's awesome. Well, I really like what Tom's doing as far as DFM. I understand that. We're doing that. We're doing the inverse, though. Tom is the engineer talking to the clients. Right. We're the manufacturing company talking to the clients doing the design and kind of like... to the engineers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I get that. It makes sense to me. I really like the redundancy. But... In sourcing, the only thing when I hear that, I think of cost because just like, let's say some of the loot things. Well, no, like, because, you know, let's just take like not a helicoil insert, like a keen cert or something like that, or with a military spec, we've got to buy that. And some of those are the deliveries are like eight months. But, you know, how do you re-engineer a military spec keen cert? Well, something like car. that, you can't. You I mean, can't. So, yeah. I mean, it just, it's a whole different thing. And then, you, you know, you're going to like find some general in the army and be like, hey, I got to, and quite you know, frankly, change spec. we're seeing issues. I don't know like if the generals with, do that, but yeah. Finishing companies are like raising their prices like crazy. And I mean, I can't absorb any more price increases from my outside finishing companies or any external entities. So I just go back to the purchasing engineer right away and say, listen, hey, they just increased my price by 30% and freights up. This is up. You're going to have to change the purchase order. It's just that easy. Or else, guess what? Cancel the order. I don't care. I know. Well, we've got enough work right now, but 
at the end of the day, I'm not in business to be exchanging dollars. No, you're I'm not. In, I'm I in agree. business to make money, not exchange dollars. You, you just got to be careful, I guess, when it comes down to when that recession hits. Yes. That you've still got that client that can help to backfill that work. So it's a, it's a fine line. That it is play. a fine line. I mean, it's just being fair. You got to be fair. You got to be that, fair. And then I think in this day and age, I think. People have become more empathetic and people have become more fair. They know what's going on and people are willing to make some changes in order to, you know, it's not about, I need to beat that person or I need to beat them down in price or, you know, there's still people out there that are better like that. But I think really people's natures have shifted a little bit. 100%. So, I mean, but when the recession hits, you got to keep those uh, spindles turning. As much as you possibly can. And then you talked about really... um, amping up the efficiency level. Yeah, exactly. That's when it's really going to become important. Yeah, when things go on the downward cycle, you still got to be making chips. Because if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.